Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Well, good morning, and almost Happy New Year. Thank you guys for coming today. What a kind of a miserable, cold, wet day, and you guys came today. That's fantastic. Um, I wanted to stop before we kind of got going with our learning time today and thank the people that were involved in my uh, extended sabbatical. I was, um, I was not in rehab. Somebody said I was in rehab. <laughs> not yet. I think Mark McLean said I had grown a ponytail. Not yet. Working on that too. Uh, but it, it was a very uh, restful time away. I feel, I do feel resuscitated. I'm grateful uh, for, you know, the leadership and the, and the pastors and the staff and the elder board that made it so easy. You know, it, t- it, it takes me a while to disengage. I carry work with me everywhere I go, and um, that uh, violates the point of a sabbatical. And every time I started thinking about it, I thought, I mean... The people that run our church are, are so competent and, and devoted to God that I was, what am I getting? What do I have to worry about? We have such a strong church that way, and I'm so, it made it, it, made it easy. And I'm, I'm grateful and thankful for those who carried the load that I would normally carry, and so they had extra things to do. Thank you very much for your generosity as a church towards me and my family. For 30 years or so, I've been working weekends, and I never had you know, I didn't have very many chances to spend the weekends with my children. And, you know, there, a lot happens on the weekends. These football games, you know, these college, you know there's college football on the weekends? That is awesome. <laughs> that is a lot of fun. So it was a good thing that I'm back at work because I was becoming someone else. So um, not so responsible. If you, if you notice on the way in, the fences, some of the fences are going up, uh, are up right now. There are going to be a lot more fences coming. The Live Oak building is in its last sequencing, in its launching. And so now we begin what we call the Church of Inconvenience, part two. And what we need, it's just going to get kind of weirder and, and more difficult to get around down there. Uh, some of you that have been parking in a visitor parking for all these years, you won't be able to park there anymore. But more importantly, um, we're going to need everyone to really step up the game on every, every uh, attender here is a greeter, and a greeter all the time in every situation. It will be difficult to get around uh, to negotiate some of the children, drop off, and get to the various buildings. So if you guys could, you know, for 2015, make it your effort to not just be a good greeter, by the way, be a good minister. Take people to lunch. Let them know uh, that you're glad they're here. That is the easiest and simplest way to make a friend, is to just be friendly before you even get to the parking lot. So could you, could you be thinking about that and as, as the more and more fences come up and the, and the driveway fills with uh, equipment and materials? Everyone's a minister. Everyone's a greeter. This is an in-between Sunday. It's between Christmas. Our Christmas things are kind of done for the most part, and January starts, and we'll start a whole new series. And what I'd like to do is let you know what, I'm, what I've been thinking about for 2015 in our church. We have such a strong church with so much momentum right now. And, and, but there was something in me that I thought, gosh, there is so much more. And I thought, what? Don't you want more? Don't you want more for you, and don't you want more for your church? Jesus said, and this is a haunting, um, I think, promise from him for me. He said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Much abundance in life, a fullness of life. And it's so rare to find someone that actually follows the teachings of Jesus Christ 
that, that because, you, because when you follow his teachings, you transcend your circumstances. You live above them. You live, you know, you, you live in the consequence of circumstances, but, but they, don't, they don't define you. And when Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have abundantly, that's, he's talking about changing the whole paradigm of how you view all of life. And you can thrive and experience joy in that context. And, I, and when, I, when I think about our church and individuals in my own life, I think, I want more of this. I want more abundant life. I want deeper relationships. Not more. Deeper relationships. I want more depth in, in marriage and intimacy there. Where you know, What does that mean, this side of Eden, you know, to be naked and unashamed, to be completely vulnerable? How do we make meaning in the mundane? I want more. You want more? You want more? You want to be free? We're going to spend time on freedom. I mean, what would it be like? Who would you be if you did not care? I mean, if you did not worry about what anyone else in the world thought about you. What, your defi- or what anybody's definition of what it means to be attractive or intelligent or successful or all these kind of silly things that enslave us. What would it like what would it be like to be free and never looking over your shoulder? We're, let's, what would that be like? So in, to, in 20, 2015, I want us to look at this quest for more. I mean, just this kind of this lust, this greed, this um, desire, envy for for a relationship with God. You know, there's, there's like one or two times that the Bible uses the word envy in a positive way, and it has to do with desiring the things that God desires for you. In 1944, right before Carl Jung, he's a famous psychologist, psychiatrist, right, Carl Jung? Right before he died, he said, there is really only one question for this time. Can a man and a woman have a relationship? He used that word, have a relationship with the infinite. That is the only question. There are no other questions, he said. Well, the answer is yes, you can have a relationship with the infinite, and you can have that by, the means is putting, your, putting faith in the gifts of Jesus Christ. But people do that, but they don't get the abundant life. And something, some kind of revival needs to take place for that abundance for more to happen. And, and sometimes more happens in waves, in stages. But in the Bible, you'll see, that there's, there's a how-to. In almost every single book of the Bible, there's a simple how-to have more in your depth of life and your depth of relationship with God. And, and it's, it's somewhat simple, but I wanted today, I want to go to a story that illustrates it because this king does those simple steps. At, at least three steps are always used, at least three, and actually they're used in some um, secular writings as well, but this king, his name is King Hezekiah. He's 25 years old when he takes over the kingdom from his father. And his father leaves Judah, this is the southern tribes, uh, in, in absolute misery. Politically speaking, his father's way of dealing with conflict and confrontation from outside uh, countries was to just pay them off. Just bribe them not to attack. But they don't have any money now. And Hezekiah takes over. Militarily, they have a papier-mâché army. They cannot defend a single city in the southern tribes. And, and spiritually speaking, again, his father uh, was just, there's no better word than just evil. His father was evil. And he left a cesspool. And so Hezekiah takes over, 
with, with no mentoring, okay, no way, no tootling on what to do. Instinctively, he knows that there was so much more for Judah, God's people. He knew that God wanted them to have more, experience more, and taste, smell, touch him more. And, and so, in this pivotal passage in the Bible, he leads the greatest revival in the history of Judah. And it's, it's found in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 18, verses like 1 through 7 or so. There's just a few short verses. I'll put them on the screen for us to read together. But when, I want you to listen for the three things that are absolutely necessary for transformation to take place in a human soul. Not just like not a revival for a country, but for an individual soul. Because, again, these three things are found in almost every book in the Bible. Listen for them carefully. I'll, let's read this together. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, began to rule over Judah. Now, he was only 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned um, in Jerusalem for 29 years. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors David had done. He removed the pagan shrines and smashed the sacred pillars and cut off the asterisk poles. He, he broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. Verse 5, Hezekiah trusted the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything, and he carefully obeyed the commandments of the Lord that the that Lord had given to Moses. So the Lord was with him. He was deep with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything that he did. Did you hear the three things? Did you hear them? There were only two. I was kidding. <laughs> so if you said, yeah. there's a third one. It's not in this passage, though. <laughs> I thought I'd pull a trick on you guys, and uh, nobody's appreciating that. I, just, I need some time off. I, <laughs> I lost my sense of humor while I was gone. I need to go find it. Okay. Basic fundamentals, okay? One, he says this. He says, stop doing bad. He says, start doing good. And then there's this third thing that we're going to see later on. It's in his life. I just want you to wait for it. He says, stop doing bad. And he has this radical amputation of sin in the life of Israel. And he doesn't play games with it. He says, stop doing bad. And then he says, start doing good. And he returns the people to the Word of God and the writer of the Word of God, God. And then this third thing that we'll find out later on, okay? So, there, so let's, look at the, let's look at the first one, okay? Stop doing bad. This is a very un unusual passage in this stop doing bad. He's going to add something that other passages don't. Stop doing bad, this radical approach to sin and dealing with it. He not, he's not going to play games with it. Look at verse 4. He removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. Then he broke the, the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been, had been offering sacrifices to it. Okay? So, the first thing he does when he takes over, he's just a young guy. People are kind of watching him. And he says, you know what? The first, we're going to take down these asherah poles. Now, these are like wooden shrines, pillars, it, almost like a, a totem pole. And almost every false god uh, in human history has to do with reproduction because, because it meant, you know, you prayed for a good harvest. Not 
sometimes to be rich, but most of the time just to survive, just to survive the winter. And so in, in a superstitious worldview, they, they, they built these gods of fertility, asterisk poles, and they would worship them in grotesque orgies and other sorts of things just so that they would have a crop that would come in and that their cows would calf and that sort of thing. It became a, a way of business tra- transactions as well. That's where you did business sometimes. And Hezekiah comes in and shatters these stones, cuts down these pillars of wood, and destroys them all because, because he, he is taking sin seriously. And, he, and he's dealing with it. He's amputating it. He's putting it away. He's not negotiating with it. He's not coddling it. He's killing it. Now, what I love about this passage is one of the things he destroys is the bronze serpent that Moses, from Moses, now, 700 years before or so before Hezekiah um, was the Exodus, okay, right? Everybody's trapped in Egypt um, in slavery, and then they're taken out, the Exodus, the Passover, that sort of thing. When they get out to the desert and they're finally free from servitude, they complain and they, say, and they, and they have contempt towards God and his leader, Moses. And they say, God doesn't love us. God doesn't want to save us. He brought us out into the desert to kill us. There's more grave sites out here. So there's contempt towards God. Then they start turning on Moses because they're sick of the food. They have this weird stuff that was, I don't know what it's like. It's called manna. Manna means what's this. So every day it was what's this. And, and, and so there was a mutiny brewing, and they were, they were going to turn on God and his leader Moses. And so God sends these vipers, poisonous vipers, into the population of Israel while they're in the desert. And they start biting these people. And, and it was... It, it, the venom was like fire, and people died or they wished they had died. And while all this is taking place, they finally see what they've done. It could be a lot worse. And so they repent, and they return, and they say, Moses, you have to speak to God for us. And so he does, and God send, sends this, this um, statement to Moses. He says, look, pound out in bronze a serpent and put it up high on a pole and while if anybody that looks at it in faith right that I will save them and looks upon that that bronze serpent they'll live and so Moses obviously has people do that they make a bronze serpent they put it up on a pole lifts it up people look and they're saved kind of the end of that story and then everybody kind of packs up, and they're moving on. For 38 years, some people say, well, what do we do with this bronze serpent? It saved our lives. It's, it's this token. I mean, listen to how symbolic it is, right? The serpent, this, these vipers were a symbol of judgment. It, it became a, a symbol of redemption. It, became, it was a symbol of death, or rather the viper was something of death, and then it became a, a symbol of life. And so they weren't going to throw it away or leave it in the desert so they packed it in styrofoam, and they moved on, and, and, they, and probably, I'm sure, some family was in charge of handing it down from father to son, father to son. 600 years go by, and in a giant warehouse where all the stuff is to build the new uh, tabernacle, Solomon, when he's building the tabernacle, they, they don't know what to do. They find the, the bronze serpent and say, what do, we, what do you want to do with this? Look at this beautiful picture of God's mercy. You know, he protected us. He saved us. It tells the story. And so they put this, this pole with the bronze serpent on right out in front of the tabernacle. And when, I mean, it's beautiful, right? 600 or so years later, men would walk with their sons, and their sons would say, okay, I understand that 
temple or the tabernacle, what I don't understand is the bronze serpent. Let me tell you a story of what happens when you, when you start you know, yelling at God about whether he's good or not, whether he loves you or not, and how he can save this, the thing that kills you, he can use to save you. I have a wonderful story. And so they put it there. And so generations would tell the story of the bronze serpent. And how looking up, because it meant so much more, that meant so much more. Maybe someday there would be something that represents death that becomes life that would be high and lifted up. I don't know. Maybe. Like a Christ figure. It's true. It, Jesus appeals to that. Something happened. You know, I, it must have been on a Tuesday. Because on Monday, people were going and telling the story. On Tuesday, they're, at, they're, they're offering sacrifices to the bronze serpent. And then their tradition continues. And so now... It takes an evil turn again because what was bad, the serpent, the bronze serpent became, you know, death became life, and now it's back to worship again, uh, idol worship. The people were worshiping and served the creature rather than the creator. They were violating the second commandment that you shall have no idols before you. And so Hezekiah has no choice but to shatter this bronze serpent that had the fingerprints of Moses on it. <laughs> you know, in church we call them sacred cows. This is the sacred of sacred cows. And I, I promise you, if, you know, Hezekiah, he must have gotten in considerable trouble when people said, oh, do you know what that serpent is? Do you know the history of that serpent? Do you know how long that serpent's been used by God to bring? Yeah, okay, I know all that. But right now, it's idol worship. It's a violation of the second commandment. It takes people away from God, not towards God, and he destroyed it. Because the first thing you have to do, if you want more in your relationship with God, you have to have a radical attitude towards sin, and you have to destroy it. And, the, and what I love about this passage is, it's, it's, it's not just the things that were evil, it's the things that were good that went evil. In my own life, I, I've seen this happen um, there was a, a major revival that took place in our country, in America. Uh, at least the worship part of it was spearheaded by a small church in Southern California that quite literally invented contemporary worship. We would still be worshiping in a manner of the 18, late 1800s. But this church comes along and says, you know, there's a whole different rhythm now. And we have a whole, and a lot of the, you know, the Jesus Freak movement got started there, and they didn't want to sing eight songs from the 1800s. And they started adding rhythms and tempos that were contemporary and they started this movement and they and friends it went all around the world they have sold millions of albums in hundreds of languages and it caused a revival of worship to take place we experience the consequence of of what god did in that church a friend of mine the reason i bring that up is a friend of mine went and visited that church this past summer and it is not well they still sing the same songs from the late 60s and 70s and sometimes 80s. Because what was made by God to cause a revival became something to be worshipped. What was breaking and new, they said, was the way God works, and they're stuck there, just like churches were stuck in an old style of worship. This is their old style. So, so you see, when we apply this to our lives, when we apply don't do bad, you know, stop doing bad, we have to look at what does bad look like, right? I mean, there's clearly bad habits. 
first application, stop doing bad, bad habits. Those things that you know are wrong. Stop, stop that. And if you can't stop that, we have a great ministry here. It meets on Thursday nights. It's called Celebrate Recovery. It's for hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and people are get jammed, and they just kind of are locked into that. You need to do that. Sometimes the things that you need to stop are bad friendships. I mean, when in, in the New Testament, Paul quotes, Paul quotes a Greek philosopher when he says, bad friends corrupt good morals. Everybody knows this. When you lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas. So there's this obvious stop doing bad, and then there's this more subtle stop doing things that were good and have become bad. Stop doing things that used to serve your relationship with God and now are hindering your relationship with God. We don't, you know, I don't want to spend too much time here, but like sometimes friendships, they, they carry you along and you're growing and then somebody gets stalled and they, and they just become cynical and biting and negative and complaining. They're so cynical and sarcastic. And you try to, you say, look, I, what, what's happened here? I'll, 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 I'll tell you, friends, if you make a good friend an acquaintance, it might do you some good. Somebody that was good for you once is now tearing you down. You need to leave that person. Leave them well, but leave. There are, there are things in our lives that used to serve our relationship with God, and now are they, they are harmful to our relationship with God. Hezekiah says, stop doing bad. And when he says bad, he says they were always bad. And he says they were once good, and now they're bad. Do you want to get well, you know? Do you want more in life? Do you want to taste this abundant life? First step, simple. Not easy, simple. Stop doing bad. Two, start doing good. Start doing good. Look what it says in the passage. Start doing good. He returns them to Scripture and the God of Scriptures. Hezekiah remained faithful to the Lord in everything, and he carefully obeyed all the commandments of the Lord that, that the Lord had given to Moses. And so the Lord was with them, and Hezekiah was successful in everything that he did. Look, I, I highlight it. He was careful. He carefully obeyed all the commandments. He obeyed them. One of the risks in a church like ours, a Bible teaching church, is that we're just a Bible teaching church, not a Bible obeying church. Oftentimes we feel like we get, you know, we get points or it counts that we know the scriptures, not that we obey them or apply them. And if you're not applying them, you, it doesn't matter. Right, Joshua is successful if you meditate on these words day and night, right, and be careful to obey all that I've commanded you, then you will be successful. Jesus says, teach them to obey all of my commandments. Jesus said, look, he, just gave, he gave the Sermon on the Mount, fantastic sermon. Everybody's listening. Everybody's taking notes. Their, no, their notebooks are full. It was a great seminar. And then he closes with this. You want your house built on a rock, your life? You want your, rock, your house built on a rock? You have to hear my words and obey them, or your house, your life will be in ruins the first time something hard hits you. So it's, it's not that you know it, it's that you do it. And that was, the success, that was the success of Hezekiah. That's what caused the revival. That's what causes revival in people's lives as well. And let me just tell you quickly the ways we're going to 
apply the Bible. I wanted to, this is, I do this occasionally. We a survey what we're going to be looking to in 2015. I hope it inspires you to say, wow, it's going to be a great year of more. We're going to start off in January in the wintertime when we talk a, a lot about um, the epistles. We're going to look at the book of Galatians, and the, the theme will be freedom because there's so much more to the gifts of God than I think most people are experiencing. Freedom from false guilt, freedom from slavery, freedom from the slavery not of sin, that, or of, of sin, but also the power of sin in our lives. We're going to look at, like, there's so much more about how to live just for, just, for, just for the Lord. We'll spend 10 weeks in the wintertime. When we get to the springtime, we're going to look at um, uh, eternal, what's called eternal rewards. There are five reasons to do good in the Bible. A lot of churches will focus on one of those five reasons at the absence of the other. We try to spend a certain amount of time on all five of those. This time, we're going to look at eternal rewards because the Bible says that there's no such thing as living sacrificially. No matter what you're doing, if you're in a prison for the Lord, you're not sacrificing for him. You're investing into eternity, into rewards that God will give you that will last forever. And we'll spend time learning about how to motivate yourself. If the other four aren't working for you, how about eternal rewards? Let's spend some time looking at that. We're going to also, in the summertime, we spend some time in the, what's called the poetry books. We're going to look at Song of Solomon because there is so much more to marriage there's so much more to intimacy. Every culture knows two things about sexual intimacy. It's power and it's prostitution. Every culture, every human culture in all of history kind of submits to the sanctity of intimacy and then pollutes it soon after that. And we're going to look at what God has for us because Intimacy in marriage is supposed to be a lot more, much more than physical, and even more than emotional. It's supposed to be a spiritual endeavor, and we're going to see if we can't be part of that. And then finally, in next fall, when the building starts opening up, it, it won't be open, but the, the shell will be done, hopefully, and, and we'll get some new enthusiasm, and we're going to do five words. Five words. This material was written for junior high and above on how to maximize marriage. This series will help you diagnose your marriage. Five principles of marriage. You get these five. Probably, if you're having trouble with marriage, it's one of these five things. I'll bet you it is. And here's what's great. Here's why I'm very excited about it. Is you'll be able to take, we'll try to keep it simple, you'll be able to take these five things onto soccer fields and workplaces and to coffee rooms and say, you know what? It's probably just one of these five things. They're simple. It's just not easy. And we'll use that to launch a lot. We'll actually... Uh, to turbocharge a lot of the ministries we have already going because we'll have a new building coming online. And so the children's ministry, the student ministry, and the marriage ministry will be able to take advantage of these five words. That's what, that's what it's looking like in 2015. The reason I bring that up is because if you, want to, if you want more in life, you have to stop doing bad. You have to have this radical hatred towards sin, and then you have to start doing right. These are the things that we're going to focus on to do right. These are the things that we want to do good, These, this four series that we just mentioned. I want you to be thinking, praying, and looking forward to how to do good in 2015. So, the third thing. You see this in the book, uh, you see this in most of the books of the Bible, and you see this especially in Hezekiah's revival that takes place in Israel. And here's what he does. He says, we're going to stop doing bad. We're going to hate this sin, and we're going to start doing good. 
And then we're going to have encounters with the divine, holy worship. First Kings is, uh, first and second Kings were written by historians. And so they just tell you the facts. And that's what we learned part one and two. First and second Chronicles are written by priests. And so they have kind of a different point of view on things. And so sometimes they'll add some things that the historians left out. And in this case, um, in Hezekiah's life, we look at, uh, what is it, First, Second Chronicles, chapters 29 and 30. The priests come in and say, look, he did away with the bad. He went after the good. But then he resuscitated worship. His father had defiled the temple, and Hezekiah came in and cleansed the temple. And then he rebuilt and rededicated the temple. And then after the, built, the temple was rededicated and cleaned up, then he brought back holy worship and made, made as much as he could, made it to be sincere and, and without selfish ambition. And then he brought back Passover. They, have a, they, they had neglected Passover for considerable generations, and they had lost touch with the power of God's goodness and the salvation they experienced from sin or from, from slavery of Egypt. And so that's how you, you want to apply this to our lives? You want 2015 to be a year of more? You want more out of 2015? Would you look at Sunday morning as that? A revitalization to a commitment to holy worship. And Sunday starts, we can learn this from the Jews, Sunday starts on Saturday at sunset. You, 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 have to, you just have to turn down the volume, the noise, the amperage, kind of the fury. When our children were young, we put them down to the, one of the most boring television shows that were ever, you know, on. We'd slow them down. We'd bathe them early. We'd put them to bed early because we wanted them to be, you know, nice, if nothing else, on Sunday morning. We wanted to have less drama. Make Sunday morning a priority that starts at Saturday at dusk, at sunset, right? And, and, and then look for the opportunities. We don't, have, we don't do a lot here on special events because we want you to enjoy as much life as possible in the ministry out there, but we'll have a few special events. Make those special. Do you want to get better? Here's what Hezekiah did. Here's what's found in almost every book of the Bible, right? You stop doing bad. Not the things that are always bad, not just the things that are always bad, but the things that were good that have become bad. Start doing good. Return yourself to the scriptures and the author of the scriptures. And then finally, have an encounter with the divine. Look forward to holy worship. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.